Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com This episode of Home Study is brought to you by NW Supply, your source online for Leatherman knives, the multi-tool that I use every day on my homestead. They also got flashlights and a bunch of other tools you'll need on your homestead. Head on over to nwsupply.net and by rjsbeefarm.com. If you're thinking about getting bees, check out everything Dane has to offer. Sign up for his email list and you'll learn a lot more about beekeeping at rjsbeefarm.com. Close your eyes. I want you to picture your dream farm. Can you see it? A place with the perfect home for you and your family, sprawling land, a spot for animals, maybe a garden. What do you see? If you ask me what my dream property is, well, I can tell you right off the top of my head. And it's not even some make-believe imaginary place. It's called The Proving Grounds. It's 2,000 plus acres of wonderful wildlife habitat with gardens and a family living there off the land. Hey Grant, are you there? I'm good, I'm well, I'm here, how are you? All right, great, we're ready to roll. This is Grant Woods. He's a wildlife biologist who along with his family is living in 2,000 beautiful acres in Missouri. Grant, uh, it's, uh, it's... It's so exciting to talk with you, man. I've followed you for years. <laughs> and I've been uh, learning really from Grant Woods for years. You see, he has a web show. It's called GrowingDeer.tv. And in this show, he talks all about land management and ways that you can take even poor quality land and turn it into a dream property. As a, as a consulting biologist, we've been incorporated 25 years. And that led to, to a web show we have, Growing Deer TV which basically allowed me to stay home more with my family and share the skills or knowledge I have and, and with other people just and allow me to stay home. So growing Deer TV... Grant's kind of living my dream. He's on this beautiful piece of land with his family and he's taking care of it, improving it, and he's documenting the entire process and using that to teach others, sharing what he's learned to help other people reach their goals with their own property because he understands what it means to own a place, a piece of land, and to pour time and effort into it and see it improve and grow. And he wants everyone that he can help to have that same experience. So Trace and I ended up, we have about 2,000 acres, just the way God put us here, just, you know, things just worked out. Grant refers to this place as the Proving Grounds. You see, he found a property, this large 2,000-acre piece, 
that was not a beautiful place, a place filled with wildlife. It's actually pretty harsh. But he wanted to prove that with good land management, you could turn a place like that into a place that people like me would dream of owning one day. But this episode is not about the proving ground, not about a 2,000 acre property that most of us will never own. It's about how someone like you and me can go from owning nothing to owning a piece of property that we love and that gives back to us in the most ways that it can. So today on Homesteady, we're going to talk about dream properties, the place that you picture yourself in 10 or 20 years from now. We're going to talk to Grant about his thousand acre property, and we're going to talk about small properties and stepping stone properties. So you ready? Close your eyes. Picture that beautiful farmhouse overlooking fields full of the animals that you love and get ready. Because today, we're going to help you get on the road to your own dream property. The world that we live in is a crazy place. But you and me, we can each make it a little better. We can live a more sustainable life. We can become more self-sufficient. We can get more connected with the planet around us. And we can do all of this together. So everybody, cozy up. It's time for another episode of Homestead. Before we dive into the story about how Grant Woods was able to get 2,000 acres at a fraction of the asking price, I want to talk to you about stepping stones. When I think about stepping stones, it makes me think of a fishing hole located back in the woods at a friend's house. A couple years back, I was over this friend's house, and I noticed deep in the woods behind their place there was a pond. It was a pretty good sized pond, and being the obsessive fisherman that I am, always looking for a new place to find a big old bass, I asked him, any fish in that pond? They said, yeah, we've seen fish. We used to fish when we were younger. So I went out to my truck because my fishing pole was already there waiting, grabbed the pole and a big spinnerbait, and I hit the woods. On your way to get to this pond through the woods, there's a stream. Now this stream wasn't very big, but it was deeper than my sneakers. And if I was gonna get to the pond, I was probably gonna get wet. That is until I saw the path that my friends take to get to the pond. There's a little wooden bridge, and then there's a couple big stepping stones. They're big stones, they're dry, they're flat, and they made it easier to get across the river. Without those stepping stones, I might have still plowed my way to the pond. I'm that dedicated of a fisherman. But the stepping stones kept me dry, got me there quicker, and much happier than if I had arrived soaking wet. That's the thing about stepping stones. They take a big, seemingly impossible feat, and they turn it into a realistic series of goals. The destination may be the same, but the journey is a lot better and a lot drier, so to speak. So as we talk about properties today, I don't want you to imagine owning 2,000 acres and that seeming impossible. I know we called this episode Dream Farm, but it's more like Goal Farm. What's the end goal? And then what are the stepping stones that will help you 
to get to that end goal. And even if you don't make it to that final big pond that you're dreaming about, well, you'll still have a great trip, you'll stay dry, and you'll have a good story in the end. It was totally worth it. The second cast, I landed an 18-inch bass. And no, I'm not going to tell you where the pond is. So now, about Grant Stepping Stones. Before he ever was a property owner, he learned how to manage the earth. And he did this in a couple different ways. In addition to just going to school, he looked to the world around him, to nature, and he looked to the past. Going off to college, I schooled, of course, here locally, then University of Georgia in Clemson, and also worked for the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management out in Nevada. Love Nevada. Of course, Grant Nevada studied biology in school, and as soon as he left school, he took up biology professionally. But it was always more than just a job for Grant. Managing land, managing wildlife, it became a passion for him. But my passion was always working with habitat and, and trying to make it better for wildlife and then utilizing that wildlife. That's just been my passion. The years Grant has spent working with the earth around him, he's learned that you can't really make up hard and fast rules. Instead, you need to live by principle. Good, solid principles, of course, are immutable. They're not changeable. My favorite class through all of college was a class in a really ancient old textbook, and I've loaned it to someone. Of course, you never get those back, and I lost that textbook, but it was called Principles of Wildlife Management. And there are certain principles, no matter where you are, that literally just never change. So wildlife need food, cover, water. And the better quality food, cover, water you have, the more wildlife or and or the better quality wildlife you will have, whether that's five acres or 50 acres or 500 acres. This is one of the reasons that I love Grant's work, because he teaches people principles, which can be applied to 10,000 acres or to just one. No matter what the size of the property, what's the best use for my mission for each part of the property? And that mission may right. just be trees, cleaning air, and, and cleaning water. And, man, that's a wonderful mission for all of us. My yeah. mission may be a nesting area for songbirds and wildlife. My mission may be a cleared area for a deer food plot or wildlife food plot. Or my mission may be a garden for me for Tracy and I. So I just kind of figure out what my mission is and go from there. Okay, did you catch that? Because it's our first takeaway point of this episode. Yeah, that's right. We're going to give you takeaway points so that you can start on your journey, your stepping stones. Uh, so the first stepping stone is to have a mission for what kind of property that you want. Do you want a small backyard homestead? Do you want to have a full-time farm? Maybe you want to have a property that you can hunt off of, fish off of. Or maybe it's just having a backyard garden that you're in control of, where you can pull some delicious vegetables out of, and help feed yourself throughout the summer. The most important thing is to think about what is your mission. And what, to what extent do you want to live off the land? A lot of us have this goal of living off the land to some extent because it's something that we love. It's something that we want to do. It's a choice that we get to make. But for people like Grant's grandparents... You know, as I get older, I'm 54. Well, it meant survival. My grandparents, my parents were Depression-era babies. My grandparents were Depression-era parents. So we all talk about Depression-era babies, but if you want to get some wisdom, go to a Depression-era parent. 
because they had to survive and feed a family through the Depression. The baby just did whatever their parents told them to do. Living through the last few years of this recession, maybe some of us feel like we could have a glimpse of what the Great Depression was like. But there aren't that many moments in history that compare to that level of loss and tragedy when it comes to an economic crisis. The Great Depression began in 1929 with a stock market crash. During the summertime, the American economy was experiencing a normal recession. But something happened that caused a lot of problems down the line. The stock of the companies that were producing the major goods continued to climb. This creates a bubble. On October 24th, the bubble bursts and investors began selling as many of their stocks as they possibly could. In a week's time, 28 million shares were dumped. This crash destroyed people's inheritances, their nest eggs, everything that they were looking forward to for security in the future was now gone. Now as it always goes with Wall Street, although the problem may originate there, it trickles down the line to the factories and the workers who are making all the goods that there's no longer a market for. People are afraid to spend money. When people are afraid to buy goods, people with more money become afraid to invest. And this puts the economy in a gridlock. When spending stops, so does production. That means the factories close, workers lose their jobs, and millions of families suddenly find themselves without a source of any income. Families who were now jobless started dipping into their own nest eggs, living off of their savings. And after all the savings was spent, that meant only one more thing was available. Welfare. In a society like ours today, welfare is accepted. And in fact, some people almost treat it like a full-time job. But this wasn't the way of life during Grant's grandparents' time. The gender roles were very strong back then. Men were seen as the breadwinners. If you couldn't bring home enough money to feed your family, you were looked at as a failure. This financial depression, for many family heads, turned into an emotional depression. These men viewed themselves as failures. Children of this era often refer to their fathers as having been emotionally distant and indifferent. Many men took up bad habits, such as over-drinking. Some men left families to travel far and wide to find work, sending money home, while still others left their families completely, deserting them. But not Grant's grandparents. And my grandparents, you talk about frugal and knew how to get stuff working, buddy. I mean, my grandparents had, had raised a family in the Ozark Mountains through a depression. The Ozark Mountains are not known for fertility. In fact, as Grant puts it, It's not, you know, it's not like 2,000 acres in Kansas or somewhere where you could really have a lot of soil. I mean, our garden is what we call a no-till garden in that we take yep. a screwdriver, wiggle between the rocks, and drop a seed in there. There's no digging. <laughs> I mean that literally. literally. Yeah. There's no tiller that's going to till here. There's no digging. It's that rocky. I mean wow. that literally. People wow. have a hard time grasping that. It's literally that rocky. I gave my wife three roses for Mother's Day one year. 
and the worst part about that whole thing was I spent a half a day digging those three holes because it's a pick. It's not a shovel. There's nowhere on the property you can take. I mean, it's literally, folks. There's nowhere on the property. It was tough ground, but without any fancy equipment, Grant's grandparents were able to feed their family off the land. And they knew how to garden, buddy. They didn't have any fancy tools or fertilizer. They Mm -hmm. just knew how to... This is what is so appealing about homesteading. No matter what's going on in the world, with stock market crashes and bubbles bursting, if we have a piece of property that we're working on and improving and developing, we're in control of providing for ourselves. For someone like Grant's grandparents, that was their survival. And they got really, really good at it. When you're garden, my grandparents knew this before the science really proved it. You don't ever want bare dirt. Bare dirt is a bad, bad thing. As soon as, if I'm harvesting a crop or a crop just matures on its own, I want something else growing. So like, for example, if I've got soybeans in a food plot or something, I'm going to walk through there and broadcast, you know, that mix of radishes, turnips, wheat, whatever. So I've got something growing on that spot all winter long. That's going to keep those nutrients from, from leaching too deep in the soil profile. Pull them back up so my next year's crop can have advantage of them and keep the wind from blowing the finer particles away because the finer particles are the most fertile particles we have in the soil complex. And my grandparents, they just they just knew to throw turnips out there. They didn't know why, but they knew they made their garden better next year. And they ate a few turnips along the way. Just using a cover crop on your garden, do not leave it bare all winter. Any cover crop, turnips are a great one because they grow when it's really cold. But any cover crop, a mix of turnips and wheat for a garden cover crop is incredible, incredible. Keep those nutrients. So Chase and I, on our acres of food plots, we haven't added any fertilizer or any lime in years. Wow. And that's a huge cost savings to us. And it's because we've always got a, a, a legume in the rotation, which is adding nitrogen. We've got a cover crop on there at all times. It's never bare soil. I don't own a disc or own a tiller mechanism. I'm never going to turn that soil. Never having bare soil, always using a cover crop. These are simple principles that were learned by surviving off the land that only now are being reproven and retaught to us by scientists and biologists like Grant looking back to past wisdom. But the past wasn't the only place that Grant learned how to care and improve the land around him. He also took important lessons from nature. You, you, you hear all this talk about other stuff. Let's just break it down real simple. Where on my property am I capitalizing on the sun's energy? Is that growing berries? Is it growing fruit? Is it growing a garden? Is it native grass habitat? Because native grass habitat is just tremendous nesting, butterfly habitat, songbird habitat. The vast majority of species diversity on the planet is in early successional habitat. And we hear a lot about old growth and pristine, and I'm all about protecting that because, because we've done so much disturbance since in short supply. But if the North American continent was all still old growth habitat, the number of people and the number of groceries we produced would be far less. Than it and does that mean it's a good idea? Uh, do you want to just clear areas and then walk away? What do you do once you cut down some of the trees no, and so open it up? The least expensive is to clear and walk away. Maybe it's a place where you cut firewood, right? 
And, and and so a lot of people talk about select cutting and all these things. I want to remind them that, again, if we look at natural systems, hurricanes, wildfires, lightning fires, insect outbreaks, those are rarely selective harvest systems. Those pretty much start it back to early succession. So Grant makes turning any property into a better producing one very simple. Just look at what nature does and then mimic it. What lesson did a hurricane teach Grant about land management? You'll find that after we take a break to hear from our partners, Grow Journey. The Grow Journey Gardening Tip of the Month is brought to you by our friends at Grow Journey, the gardening subscription service. Get a package filled with a variety of organic seeds every month with all the instructions on how to plant, care for, and harvest those delicious vegetables. Check out growjourney.com. I'm doing it right now. It's so exciting each month to go out to your mailbox, pull out that Grow Journey box, and see what's inside. But now, the gardening tip of the month. The tip of the month is about the top four problems that new seed growers face. If you've tried starting plants from seed and failed, don't worry, you're in good company. Every year we try to start tomatoes, and every year the spindly little stems that result from our seeds get tossed into the compost pile, and we go out and buy transplants. There are a few different things that you could be doing wrong. One of the big problems new seed growers face is not giving their plants enough light. Nearly all seedlings need six or more hours of bright as the sunlight per day. If you want to use a windowsill like I do, make sure you have a non-shaded south or southeast facing window. If you don't, you're going to need to purchase a grow light or take your seedlings outside when temperatures are above 50 Fahrenheit. If the leaves look yellow or if the plants look leggy, long stems is a great way to tell that the seeds are not getting enough sunlight. That's only one of the four problems. You want to hear the other three? Head on over to growjourney.com. Sign up for their email list. You'll receive their tip of the month. These are great tips and you can check out the Seed of the Month Club. They have memberships for small gardens and large, and the best part, you can try it free for 30 days. Get an awesome variety of organic seeds shipped to your house every month. Growjourney.com Want to know how you can win a free subscription to Grow Journey? Stay tuned to the end of the episode, and we will tell you how. When I was in college, I got so puking sick, excuse me, hearing about selective cutting, selective cutting, replicating nature. That's not what nature does. When mm-hmm. I, I was actually went to Clemson University, and my research area was right outside of Charleston, South Carolina, when Hurricane Hugo come in. And I'm from Missouri, so you know a class where a hurricane didn't mean anything to me. And I asked, a, I was my research was on a big property there, and I asked the property manager, hey, should I, you know, should I leave town or is this going to be okay? Because I mean, I'm from Missouri, I've never been a hurricane before. <laughs> he's kind of, maybe he's an old crusty guy. He said, ah, boy, it'd be like a bad thunderstorm. Don't worry about it. And I guarantee that was the worst thunderstorm I've ever been in. I spent the night there. Hurricane Hugo approached the United States coast as a Category 3 hurricane. By the time it slammed into the coast of South Carolina, it was a Category 4. It set records for wind speed. It was a disaster. And it broke. We had all this. <laughs> 
scientific equipment measuring the stuff I was working on, it broke our wind gauge at 176 miles an hour. It was a horrible wow. thunderstorm, I promise you. But it turned that 6,000-acre forest I was working in back to early succession. It looked like someone took a weed eater and cut all those trees down. I mean, I was right in the eye of the storm. The eye of the storm was 46 minutes long where I was, literally. I know. Cause I was hiding. Wow. I was hiding deep in the building, praying that that storm would hurry up and get over. It was 46 minutes long. <laughs> and the wildlife wow. boom. Because I was monitoring this, so I had two years of data before that was un obviously unrelated to the hurricane, right? I mean, I was just doing my research. Right. The boom in wildlife after the hurricane was incredible, incredible. Quail, non-game species, deer, turkey just exploded because we cleared that forest, and I don't mean cleared it with dozers, right, just a windstorm, but it knocked right. that canopy over and let the sunshine get to the forest floor. And again, that's what we do with the garden, right? We're getting it down to that baseline. It was the perfect example of creative destruction. You get rid of everything. You start with a clean, white canvas. And then you begin to build and grow. Grant applied that lesson to his first stepping stone property. The first piece of property that he and his wife owned. Let's take Trace and I's 13 acres in South Carolina as an example. And on 13 acres, it's mainly timbered. You know, space is an issue, but we had a little clearing area. So we cleared out that little brushy opening and did a soil test and limed and fertilized appropriately and by not, you know, abusing the land, by using really good principles and techniques of preparing the right seed bed and, and ample fertilizer and ample getting that pH right. pH is always more important than fertilizer. And doing some real simple things, we were able to grow great food, and we used some of the greens. You know, of course, we'd plant turnips for the winter and whatnot, and we could use those in our winter salads. And also harvested deer that were coming to feed on them also. I mean, literally, my wife might, literally, I just happened numerous times, she may go out there an hour before I'm going hunting and pick greens out of food plant. I'm like, honey, don't spook the deer. She's out there picking greens for a salad, and then I go out there and hunt it later on. Grant took those simple principles that he had learned, and he applied them to their small property. Now, 10 acres might sound big to some people, and to others, this is just a small property. But the point is, the principles apply across the board, no matter what the size. Well, you know, we had a little garden and a little food plot and tried to hunt deer on there and do that. But Grant didn't wait till he owned a huge property. This is the next stepping stone for you on your way to your perfect dream property. And that is don't wait. Once you've thought about your target, where you're headed, start now. Practice. Even if you're just in your apartment, grow something in your windowsill. Find a piece of land near you that you can rent or maybe even use for free. Grant's final stepping stone on the way to the proving grounds was the search. Both of us being farm kids always wanted more acreage and just couldn't afford a bigger tract of land in that area. When we spent about three years, I mean, just seriously looking. I mean, we spent a lot of time with our head in real estate books or, you know, driving around. This is before the internet had land everywhere. And, uh, 
and we came home to visit family, and Tracy picked up a real estate guide and found this old ranch for sale. And I mean, literally, it was an old burnout ranch. A guy had died and left it to a local hospital, and they thought they were going to sell it to a developer or something, but it's just too steep and rocky. It had some humongous price tag on there, and Tracy and I toured it and said, boy, this would be a good place to raise a family, and, and offered what we could afford, not what they wanted, but what we could afford, and they sent back that little letter said, no, no, but heck no. <laughs> And a year later, 9-11 happened, and I guess the hospital donations dried up or something. They were liquidating assets, and, and it turned out they'd never even seen the property. You know, we closed with an wow. accountant and an attorney in absentia, never met anyone face-to-face, never shook a hand. They just want some cash. <laughs> that works great. You know, our offer became acceptable, and it was literally 10 times less than what they were asking, literally. So. So Trace and I ended up, we have about 2,000 acres, just the way God put us here, just, you know, things just worked out. This property search, this stepping stone, sometimes this is the slippery one, where we can make the biggest mistake. Usually this happens because we rush our decision. We're dying so badly to start our homestead that we find the first piece of property we can find, maybe we offer too much money for it, put ourselves into debt. Maybe we buy the property that's wrong for us because it's the first one that had a little bit of green on it. This almost happened to ourselves as we were searching for our homestead. After a few months of looking, we found a property with a couple of acres. It was on a cul-de-sac. We could see neighbors on either side. But we reasoned with ourselves that there'd be enough room for a couple goats at least. We decided to wait and keep looking. It took another six months But that's when we found the place we're at now, the 10-acre homestead that we've started building our family and our farm business from. And who knows, maybe when we look back, it will be our 10-acre stepping stone to something even bigger. Just like Grant. Grant and Tracy's example show us that we shouldn't rush that decision. They offered the money that they could, and when that wasn't accepted, Well, they waited. And after waiting, things changed, fell into place, and they were able to move onto their dream property for a fraction of the original cost. Grant's story doesn't end here. It's actually where it begins. When Grant and his wife moved to the property, the first year they spent there, they saw only one deer and lots of hard, unfertile ground. But they've spent years and years of what he refers to as sweat equity in the property, turning it into, well, like I said, a place that I dream about living. If you want to see the Proving Grounds, learn about them, and see how Grant has turned them from this hard, barren ground into a beautiful place, go to growingdeer.tv. You can also search him on YouTube and check him out on Facebook. I can't recommend Grant enough. He's a great educator. He teaches you with video live from the field every week at growingdeer.tv. Most of us are never going to own 2,000 acres, but it doesn't mean we're not on our way to 
owning our own dream property. In fact, just a few years back, I didn't own any land. I lived in a third-story apartment. And now I'm on a homestead with my family. And out of the ten that we own, we're only using about two as productively as it could be. There's a lot of room for growth. You don't need to own 2,000 acres to help feed your family, live off the land, and enjoy your time at your home outside. In fact, All right, you don't there? even need a full acre. Yeah, and I think I figured out how to make it work, too. Oh, beautiful. Okay. This is All Alexia. Right, recording on my end now, too. So, I am Alexia, and I am... For the past few months, Alexia has been blogging on the thisishomestudy.com website under the title suburban The Suburban Escapee. Escapee. And I am a mom of two, and I'm married to a country boy, and I live in central Massachusetts. On The Illinois. Suburban Escapee does not live on a farm. Uh, she lives in a suburban area of Massachusetts. Um, I have two-thirds of an acre of land at my house. We couldn't really swing moving to a really countryish place because we have day jobs. If ever a person has looked at their life as a series of stepping stones laid out in front of them on the way to that big old lake full of bass, well, that's Alexia. That's kind of what we're doing right now is trying to turn our yard into a lot of different growable plots and trying to raise as much food as we can on our lawn. Alexia and Brian have a farm dream, a future they see themselves in with a much bigger piece of property. Looking for land in Western Mass. Where they're doing a lot more with the land than what they're currently doing. We're going to try to get a plot of land and build a tiny house. But that doesn't stop them from doing every little thing they can right now with what they've got. We got chickens when we moved here, and um, we started with silkies and polishes. They're all gone. Our last one just got eaten by a raccoon. <laughs> so we've had like 15 chickens oh, total, man. and we have one egg layer. Yep. One. Yeah. That sounds about right. You can always count on homesteading to leave you with letdowns, unhappy endings, and even burnout. But it doesn't have to be like that. So the way that you take steps the right way without burning yourself out is really by looking at the investment in time versus outcome. So we have strawberry plants and we have 10 blueberry bushes. And what I think is really important about these different types of plants is that they don't take a lot of maintenance. What our end goal is at the moment and what we achieved for the first time this summer is that our children can walk around our yard and eat. That was our kind of goal for this point in our lives. This is one of the biggest keys when trying to make sure that your homestead is a success. It's to set yourself reasonable goals. You can't really decide whether or not you've been successful unless you've made those goals in the first place. And if they're reasonable goals you're less likely to look back and feel like you failed. Wanting your kids to walk around and be able to eat the yard, that's a very reasonable goal. Looking to be 100% self-sufficient, eating nothing that you don't grow or kill or raise yourself, that's a bit of a but dream. if you really only have a limited amount of time, it's pretty important to use that, getting something that will directly benefit your life so that you continue to stay motivated. One of the things that CSA boxes taught me over the years is that getting a giant box full of kohlrabi and daikon radish is discouraging. <laughs> like, what am I going to do with this? Take that, CSAs. 
<laughs> they live a life that's familiar to many of us. They have children, they have a home, they have full-time jobs, student loans. They can't just pack up their things, find some vacant lot out in Montana somewhere, and set up shop. When Alexia first contacted us at Homesteady to see if she could write with us, uh, she wrote in her letter that one of the things that appealed to her about Homesteady is the fact that we didn't live in Alaska. It was more approachable homesteading. And when Alexia writes on her website, that's her point of view, approachable homesteading. What can you do? What's the smallest thing you can start with to begin down that journey? Jumping into the world of homesteading can seem scary, but don't worry, the suburban homesteader, she's a therapist, and she's gonna help you get there. So what I actually do is I do individual therapy, like a lot of um, therapists do. I work mostly with high school kids right now, anxious achievers, the kids who feel like they're never doing good enough and get extremely depressed. Anxious achiever, does that sound familiar? Do you start to think about the idea of starting a farm? Think, where would you start? What animals? How would you grow? How would you breed those animals? All the fencing that you would have to do, and the feeding, and the garden you'd have to start. And it just gets so big and overwhelming, you just decide, ah, I can't do it right now. Are um, you an anxious achiever? Am I an anxious achiever? Yeah. Totally. Yep, I'm an anxious achiever, 100%. Type A, oldest child, that's me. <laughs> so anxious achievers engage in a lot of unhealthy catastrophic thinking, which basically means that they only look at the big picture and feel defeated. An anxious achiever without skills, right, would look at your farm and say, oh my God, I can't take care of sheep. Oh my God, I can never do this. And not even start. And the skills that I've learned and that I teach other people is, Okay, so you're looking at, for example, right now what I'm working with a lot of kids on is getting into college, right? Or mm -hmm. planning what they're going to do when they graduate. And they're like, oh my God, I have to know what I want to be when I grow up. I don't even know how I'm going to do this. Ah. So, are you a homesteading anxious achiever? What you need is opportunities. In order to have opportunities, you need to check X, Y, and Z bad habit that you're engaging in right now and stop that so that you can get good enough grades so that you have options. All right. So let's throw this onto the homesteading world. Yes. Right? There are so many people, I think, that are like hearing that word, anxious achievers. They look at the homesteading thing and they want to do everything and they want to do it all. But right now they're in a cubicle and they can't do anything. How do you help somebody? What would you tell that anxious achiever homesteader who isn't doing anything right now and is just like, I don't know where to start, what to do? What would your advice as a professional who does this um, be to them? So the word that I really like, and I did not make this up, is um, called micro-movements. Micro-movements. Hmm. Sounds a bit like stepping stones. I'm just saying. So what you need to do is look at your life right now, where you're at, what you know how to do, what resources you have, and what time you have available to you, and learn to make something you usually buy. That would be my first step and my first piece of advice to the anxious achiever. 
who is sitting in their cubicle and feels like they cannot even manage this because they don't know how to shear sheep and they don't know how to make a cob oven and they don't know how to till the land. Because I can't do any of that stuff. When you make an achievable goal that really is a reward for you, something that you enjoy, something that makes you feel good, that motivates you to set another achievable goal. I remember an episode where you talked to accountant Mike about um, growing tomatoes in a topsy-turvy, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was great. Um, so that was episode one. You get to <laughs> yeah. Year, you're probably actually going to be in a position where you can actually sell some of these tomatoes and really actually make some money. Nice. Um, Maybe if you get really, really good at it and you start growing incredible yields, you do better than that. But great, yeah, I'd say by the time you hit year three, you're actually doing all right. All right. So, uh, will we see you outside of your apartment on your balcony with a tomato plant in the topsy turvy? <laughs> <laughs> well, simple answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks, man, right. for your help. All right, no problem. All right, everybody, if you uh, if you have any more questions for Mike, the accountant, give him. So what I think is really important is, for me, growing tomatoes in a topsy turvy is a really good goal because I really like tomatoes, and being able to pick them and smell them and cut them up and eat them for dinner is a really motivating reward for me, and I think that's what people need to achieve in order to feel like this dream is doable. They need to have a result that makes their life better in some small way that makes them really happy. Because if you have a series of successes, you don't get overwhelmed and quit. You feel like you yourself, it builds up your Mm self-esteem. It builds up your feelings of self-confidence so that you feel like, I can actually do this. I often feel like the portrayal of homesteading and sustainability are the shows on the Discovery Channel or National Geographic Network or blogs where young couples with no kind of outside obligations can jump off the deep end. Mm -hmm. And I think those stories are wonderful entertainment, but they're not doable for most people. And I know how I felt and still feel when I see them which is, oh my gosh, here are people who were able to just go out and like kill a caribou and, you know, grow all this stuff and I can never do that. Deep in the Alaskan wilderness, there's a recently discovered family that was born and raised wild. What does it take to conquer Alaska? It really looks more like pioneers than modern day people. Alaska. The season to gather meat, vegetables, and firewood nears an end. I am just a normal person who grew up without any of these skills, and I'm making these small changes, and they've made a noticeable difference in my life, and I can show you how to do it as well. I'm Italian, and I've been making tomato sauce and meatballs since I was eight years old with my nana, who taught me how when I was eight. And people are really impressed that I can make my own tomato sauce. And then I have a conversation with people and they say, oh my gosh, like, how did you do this? 
And when I revealed to them that it took 20 minutes, they're really surprised. And then people make their own tomato sauce because I give them a really simple recipe, which is two cans of tomatoes, like half an onion, a clove of garlic, olive oil, and oregano and basil, and you just like simmer it in a pot. And when people see that, they become really encouraged by their ability to actually make something. So I think it's really important for people to start with things that make them feel successful quickly. Can we get that uh, tomato recipe on the blog? You definitely can. So you just had your motivational therapy session with none other than the Suburban Escapee. You can read a lot more of the Suburban Escapee's motivational blog posts over at thisishomesteady.com. Make sure to sign up for the email list. We're going to be sharing Alexia's blog posts and recipes and helpful tips to help you get started, continue going, and growing in whatever you're doing in your homesteading endeavors. And surely what Alexia shares will be something in there for everyone. This is homesteady.com. And check out the Suburban Escapees blog posts there. So I'm just going to be honest. I feel incredibly inspired. From Grant's story of how he went from owning no land to 2,000 acres and then heading over to the world of the Suburban Escapee and seeing how just little by little we can get to where we want to go. Let's all set a goal. Let's all think about our dream farm, our perfect homestead, and start down a path of micro-movements, of stepping stones, to help us get there. So we have a really exciting month planned. We did this last year, and we're going to do it again. The month of February, there's nothing going on on the farm, and maybe there's not much going on in your farms, your homesteads. Uh, So while we're bored of winter and being cold, we decided, let's do four episodes of the show this month. It's a huge endeavor because each episode takes so much time in production, Uh, but I'm a little backed up on recordings and I want to get these out to you. So we have some really exciting stories coming this month. We have an episode about bees. Have you been considering bees? We're going to learn a lot about bees. We have an episode about bears, bees, bears. Battlestar Galactica? (laughs) Uh, So say we all. Homesteady Pioneer here. I'm at the Ducklehead Ranch in Vintondale, Pennsylvania. I raise pastured ducks for their delicious duck eggs with the biggest yolks you've ever seen. It's 7 o'clock in the morning and time to let the ducks out. Give them some fresh water. Get them their feed. How's everyone doing today? (laughs) You guys are hungry. I'm Roy. These are my ducks. And we are homesteady. The Homesteady Pioneer shout out. That's become my new favorite segment on the show. 
I love hearing from our pioneers, wherever they are, and sound clips from their homestead. Do you want to be heard on that? Become a pioneer. In fact, this month we're going to ask 50 of you to become a pioneer. We're setting the goal of 50 new pioneers. It's a way that you can help support the show, but it's not a donation. No, we're not just asking for money in return for nothing. We give our pioneers an extra episode of Home Study every month, and each week our pioneers are getting a video from the homestead. It's a little simple how-to. We teach them stuff. We show how we handle our animals and how to make cheap feeders and all kinds of things. So become a pioneer. You'll get a whole extra episode of the podcast. You'll get four bonus videos, and I'll send them right to your email inbox. You don't even have to go looking for them. Every week you'll get something nice for me to watch, listen to. You get to enjoy a lot more homesteady that way. If you enjoy this show and you, you want more of it, become a pioneer. It's five bucks a month. You get all that extra content. You also get discounts from our partners like Power Plucker and RJS Bee Farm. Right now, we have 150 individuals, incredible, amazing people who are helping to keep this show going by being a pioneer. This month, we're going to try to get 50 more, and we need your help. That means about 13 people each week for the month of February. So for each episode, I'm going to ask that 13 of you become a pioneer. Here's the best part. If we can meet this goal, if we get 50 new pioneers, we're going to host a live episode of Homesteady, and we're going to invite all our pioneers to sit in on that live episode. It'll be me, Accountant Mike, and some scotch, and we'll be answering all your questions live and unedited. That sounds frightening. (laughs) Don't worry, it'll be a webinar. You're not going to have to fly out to the farm to see it. So if we can meet that goal, that episode's going to happen, and we'll invite all the pioneers to it. But don't worry, even if you're not a pioneer, we're not going to exclude you. We'll share that episode at the end of this month, the end of February, you'll get to hear that. If we meet the goal of 50, that means 13 of you this week need to sign up. You listening right now, go ahead, be one of those 13. You can join us for the live event. Now, let's say you love the show, but you just can't swing an extra five bucks a month. That's all right. There's another thing you could do this month that would be a big help. And I would really appreciate if you love the show, if you could do this. And that's to share it. If you go onto any of your social media, whatever favorite social media you have, Instagram, Reddit, Facebook, I don't care what it is, Twitter, you name it, put in hashtag IamHomesteady and then tell people about the show. Share your favorite episode. Use a link from the website. We're going to give away every week a subscription to Grow Journey. You know, Grow Journey, our seed of the month club partners. You're going to get a subscription to Grow Journey. You're going to get free seeds in the mail, help you kickstart your garden this year. And that's just for sharing the show. So become a pioneer or share the show and hashtag it I am homesteady so that I can find your message in social media. We'll be picking one individual each week for four weeks. This won't be that hard to win. We're going to give four of them away. So get out there early this week, share it, and maybe you will be getting that Grow Journey prize package. I'm really looking forward to the month of February. I love podcasting. I wish we could do four episodes every month. And with your help and enough pioneers, someday that may be a reality. But for the month of February... Hashtag I am homesteady. You're going to be hearing a lot from us. We look forward to a great month. And until next week, remember the road is rocky. Make homesteading.